Well, good morning, church. Hope you guys are good. Hope you had a good Christmas and New Year. Um, I'm excited to be back. I hope this is like riding a bicycle because it's been a while. Um, but I'm excited to be back up here. And I want to just say real quick thank you to our staff and to all of you who have stepped up during the time that I was out. Um, you just did a great job. Everybody who stood up here and brought God's Word did such a fantastic job. And um, all the things that go on in the background that people stepped up and did. I'm just very thankful for that and thankful for the opportunity to be able to, to catch my breath. I, I feel like um, it was something that was needed, uh, but it's also something that I feel like has, has begun to do the work that it was intended to do. Um, Health-wise, I'm feeling better, um, getting better every day, and, and looking forward to getting back going um, and, and us really uh, continuing to reach this community with the gospel. And, and continue to grow into the image of Christ. And so I'm excited about that. Um, today, we are going to be kicking off a new series called Everyday Christian. And this is going to be going through the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. Today, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 in just a minute. Um, but this series is really about what it looks like to live as an everyday Christian. And some of the things that we experience as an everyday Christian. And today we're going to really be looking at how do we have joy in this world that throws so many curveballs at us? How do we rejoice and have this um, exceeding joy that the Bible speaks of when we have difficult times and struggles and, and we have trials that come our way? Remember, Jesus told us that in this world we would have trouble, but he also said, take heart for I have overcome the world, Right? And so we want to look at that today. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. And if you need a Bible, we'd be glad to give you one at our Next Steps table. We'd love to give you a Bible if you do not have one. 1 Peter, verse 1 in chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. And listen to this, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Well, let's pray and we'll jump into this. God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, to be able to stand here and deliver your word. I thank you, God, that um, today it has power for our lives. I thank you, God, that some may be here today because of a resolution to do better in 2017, but God, I thank you that they're here for a revelation of who you are and what you're gonna do. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come, invade this place and do a great work in our hearts today. In Jesus' awesome name, amen, amen. Well, I hope, as I said earlier, that you had a good Christmas. I hope that you've had a good new year, that things are off to a good start for you. Um, we love Christmas around our house, and um, every year it's always exciting. I get as excited as the children, I think, on Christmas morning to see them as they get their stuff. And, and so this Christmas, uh, Susan, I don't know what got into Susan, but she bought the most dangerous gifts for our children that I think we've ever gotten. Like We got roller skates for Reed, my six-year-old, and he's just like, you don't give him roller skates, right? Um, we got one of these electric ripsticks 
for uh, my, my middle son. Um, just things like that. And I'm like, what are we even thinking, right, to give them these things? And all of them have to be assisted. Like, they can't do any of them by themselves. So I'm like, we got to think these presents through a little bit better before we buy them next time. But another gift that my youngest son, my six-year-old Reed, got was an electric scooter. It's a scooter that you can just stand on and you just hit the throttle and it takes off, right? And so he had gotten the scooter and we're in the, the, the living room area and our living room is attached to the kitchen and to a dining area. And, and he's sitting there with the scooter. He's got it turned on and we're, we're watching him on this thing. And I'm standing across the room. Susan's kind of in the kitchen. And all of a sudden he hits the throttle on this thing and he takes off like, I'm telling you, like a bat out of Hades. I'm telling you, he just takes off. And it was so crazy because it goes so fast that his feet are literally dragging the ground behind the scooter. The scooter pops a wheelie about this high off the ground and he's just holding on for dear life. You can see like panic in his eyes and everything. And I want to show you a picture of how this ended up right here. Check out this picture. <laughs> That's how it ended up. Reed stuck in the wall, right? And, and Susan happened to be standing there, so she grabbed him. He still ended up with a busted lip, but he, she grabs him, and, or else, I'm telling you, he would have gone between the studs and into the other. That's how fast he was going. And so he hits this wall, and I'm like, my first reaction is, great, something else to fix. But it, it was so funny. We couldn't help but take a picture and laugh because it, it was just so perfectly read and how he is and what he's like. And, and I was thinking about that, and... And, and I remember Reed's face when the, he hit that throttle and he took off on that, that scooter. And I mean, he was going, it looked like 100 miles an hour across the kitchen floor and, and then hitting the wall and just being upset. And I thought about how sometimes in life we feel that way, don't we? Think about this. Think about how many times in life it feels like we're just hanging on, right? That things are moving so fast. Things are happening so quickly. Things are going so crazy, that we sometimes feel like we've hit the throttle or somebody hit the throttle and we're just trying to hang on in life. We face struggles, we face difficult days, we face difficult times. And reality of it is sometimes we feel like we're just hanging on. I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way sometimes. I think that most of us in here in this life have, have faced difficult challenges, have faced trials and tribulations, have faced sufferings. And, and today I want to speak to that a little bit because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says as Peter wrote this and Peter's wish for us and God's wish for us is this, grace and peace be yours in abundance. How many of us could say today that we're living in that abundant grace? Grace being Jesus's love for us, this unconditional, unmerited love that God gives us, no matter who we are, what we've done, who we've done it with, this unconditional love that God gives us, abundant grace. How many of us could say that we're walking in this abundant peace? This, the word literally means trans, tranquility. It's an abundance of calm in your soul and in your spirit. How many of us can say that we're living in that today, that our spirit is calm because we're right with God and we're right with man? And so we have a calm spirit. I want to read you something out of Mark chapter 5 because I believe that it speaks to where many of us live our lives, if I can get there. Mark chapter 5. 
verses one through five. Listen to this. This is when Jesus comes into contact with a demoniac in uh, the region of the Gerasenes. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus had just calmed a storm. And so they're going on across the lake. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came and from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. This dude was literally off the chain, right? He's like crazy. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Can you feel the torment in this guy's life? This demoniac, this, the pain that he's experiencing? And then I think about the apostle Paul, who tells us that he found a way to have contentment in all circumstances. And I thought about what a contrast. You've got this guy who is tormented, that life is, is, is literally tormenting him. That Satan has come in and caused such confusion in his life. And then you've got the other contrast to that, which is the Apostle Paul who says, I've learned to have contentment in every situation, in all circumstances, I have contentment. But I wonder if you looked at that as a spectrum of the demoniac on this side and the Apostle Paul on this side, which end of the spectrum are we closer to? Because I know for me, many days in my soul, it can feel like I'm closer to the demoniac than I am to the apostle Paul. Why is that? It's because of the things that the world throws at me. But how do we get to this place where we live on the end of the spectrum with the apostle Paul? How do we get to this place where we're able to say that my spirit is calm, that it is well within me, that I am okay and that things are going to be okay, even in the midst of hell on earth, how do I get to this place. That's what I believe that the, the apostle Peter lays out for us in the next few verses. And God gives us this ability. God gives us the opportunity to live this way, but it is a battle. It is an everyday battle as an everyday Christian for us to live in the calm and tranquility and the abundant grace that God wants us to have. It takes everything within us. It's a battle to, to, to stay there because Satan wants to come and take us away from that. Satan wants to come and put torment in our soul. Satan wants to come and take away our peace. But the good news is that God is greater than he is. The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And so we can have this, but it takes us understanding how to have it. And God gives us some things that help us. It says in verse four, praise be to God and the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Listen, that new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The first thing I want you to see about this and to be able to grab hold of in this is that God has given us something that we did not have before. God has given us something that we did not have before. Specifically, the Bible says that he's given us new birth. 
When something's birthed, it's new, right? Uh, when a child is born, he's new. He's new to the world. He's entered a new world for him. So it's something that's new. And God has given us something that's new if we're in Christ. He's given us a new life. The Bible says that if we're in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, right? That, that we've been made new. And so we have this newness of life. And we know that this is not just some um, type of, of, of hope that we hope for, we cross our fingers. We know that it is, is true. You got to remember the apostle Peter is one who saw the resurrected Christ. He was so sure of it that he gave his life because he believed it so much because he had seen it with his own eyes. And so he says, we have a living hope. Listen, people, we don't have a dead hope. We don't have a cross my fingers, hope to die, hope maybe it'll happen. We don't have a hope that is 50-50. We have a hope that is 100% true and 100% sure. And the reason it is is because Jesus did die, but he did rise from the grave. And what Peter is telling us is this, that our hope is as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have this hope because he was raised from the dead. It's not a dead hope because he's alive. The good news is that the tomb is empty. The good news is that he is risen, that he has ascended, that he sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession on behalf of you and I. And so we get to experience this hope even now as we've been born again, as we've been birthed anew by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something in us, even when we don't feel it, even when it doesn't feel right, even when we might not be able to comprehend it with our mind, there's something inside of us called the Holy Spirit that tells us this is true. And so we're able to come to a place where we have a living hope that God has given us something that we did not have before Jesus came into our lives, a living hope. It says that we have an inheritance, that we've been birthed into an inheritance. So God has given us two things that are new. One is a living hope. Two is an inheritance. But what is this inheritance that we're going to receive? The inheritance is God himself. And see, when we inherit the perfect presence of God, when we come into God's kingdom perfectly, as we cross from this world to the next, and when Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth, we come into the perfect presence of God. And in the perfect presence of God, there is no more pain. There is no tears. There are no tears. All of the things that have been caused by this fallen world and the hurt and the pain in our lives is undone as we come into the perfect presence of God. And so what we get to see here is that God has given us two things that are new. He's given us a living hope and he's given us an inheritance. And so we can take comfort in that, in knowing that these things God has given us. It goes on in verse five or verse four and says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So this inheritance is kept for you. And it says we are shielded by God's power. The second thing that God gives us, he gives us something new, but he also gives us something that cannot be taken from us. He gives us something that cannot be taken from us because it's kept in heaven. Is kept under his guardianship. He's the one who keeps it. He's the one who shields us. See, it doesn't tell us that we're shielded from all trial and tribulation, but what it does tell us is we're shielded from ever losing our position as God's son or daughter. It's so that no matter what comes, nothing can take that position away from us. 
We are shielded. We are his. We belong to him. So that when the ground, as we sang beneath me, is shaken, I can still take comfort in knowing that I am his and I belong to him. So he's given me something that cannot be taken away. He's given me something. There was something new. See, when you think about this, he's given us something that cannot be taken away. And you think about this, that he's given us something that is new. There's still two dangers. One danger is living, continuing to live like you still don't have it, right? It'd be like buying a car and then continuing to walk everywhere you go. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Like you bought the car so that you could ride, not walk. And so you, you, you continue to live as though you don't have it. But we do this as Christians, don't we? We continue to live without hope, even though we've been given great hope. We continue to live as though we don't have an inheritance in Christ, even though he's already given us an inheritance. So that's one danger. Another danger is that we begin to come to a place where we live as though we've always had it. In other words, we become ungrateful or unappreciative. Or we just think that it's something that we're owed. And the reality is God didn't owe us anything. But because of his great love for us, he gave it to us. And that's the amazing thing about it. That's the incredible thing about it is that God gave it to us. And so today, I don't want you to live in either of those two places. I don't want you to live as though you still don't have it. I want us to be, and listen, I'm preaching to myself. I want us to be people who have joy in all circumstances just because of the hope that we have in Christ. And I want us to be people who worship him and praise him. As Peter said in the very beginning, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we praise him and worship him because he has given us this great hope. He's given us something that we didn't have before. And so we have a great hope in Christ. The Bible goes on in verse 6. It says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while You've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter's writing this letter to a group of people who are going through persecution. They're facing trials for their faith. They're facing difficulties because of their belief in Jesus. They're, they're, they're suffering because of the name of Christ. And so Peter's encouraging them to continue. And as I read this verse, the thing that I see in this verse, something else that God has given us, is that God has given us something eternal, and perfect in place of something that's temporary and flawed. God's given us something that's eternal and perfect in the place of something that is temporary and flawed. And so when we read this, that even for a little while, you've been made to suffer, you've had trials, you've had difficulties, you've had a tough time. What he's telling us is this, look, this is short-lived. This is short-lived, this is temporary stuff. But God's given you something that is eternal and perfect so that when this life fades away, there is something greater and lasting that's there for you. There's something that's greater and lasting to, to take you home. There's something that's greater and lasting now to give you hope. I want you to see that. But in this meantime, there's suffering that comes. There's difficult days that come. There's pain that comes. 
And I was thinking about this as, as during this break that I've been taking because it's something I wrestle with is just the, the, the pain of life, the struggles of life, the difficulties that we face. But I was thinking about why is it that I reject pain so much? And I believe the reason that I do that is because I wasn't created for it. God made me not for pain. He made me for joy in his perfect presence. That's what the Bible says he created us into was the perfect garden. And what pain does is it tells me that something's not right. It tells me that something's wrong. It's like putting my hand on a hot stove. It burns and I move my hand. Why? Because something's not right. Something's wrong. As I was thinking about this, I came to the realization that all of our emotional pain, the pain that we feel in our heart, is caused by sin. That original sin that has marred the world. Has caused it. Think about the things that cause us pain, whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's abuse, greed, idolatry. Idolatry being when we worship something ahead of God, we become disappointed many times and disillusioned because we worship something and put our hope in something other than God. Think about our broken identities. When we look to something in the world to define us other than letting Christ define us and tell us who we are. All of these things cause this pain. Think about death itself. See, there was no death in the garden until sin entered. And so it points to us, pain points us to something being wrong. Tells us something as sin is literally missing the mark. Pain tells us something's not right. And the bad news is that in this life, we face struggles. We face difficulties. But the good news is that there has been a remedy for those and that one day those things will be made right. And it's made right and has been made right and we will inherit something that is right and perfect and good in the place of something that is temporary and flawed because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and what Jesus did for us when he rose from the dead. We get to experience that. We get to experience something that is perfect, enduring, lasting because of what God's done. And that is where our hope has to lie. That's where our hope has to lie. It's where it has to be. See, the good news for us is that if we're in Christ, if we're a believer in Christ, In this life, it is the most pain that we will ever face. It's the greatest struggle that we will ever have because we will be with Jesus. We will be with God forever. But if we're not in Christ, it's the beginning of what is going to be unimaginable when we're separated completely from our Heavenly Father. What a great hope we have when we're in Christ that one day we will inherit what is perfect and what is eternal in the place of what is temporary and what is flawed. Verse 7, he says, These have come, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
The next thing God gives us is that God's given us a purpose. God has given a purpose to the struggle. There's a reason for it. It's not just in vain. God has given purpose to it. Even when we fail and we sin and things are no longer perfect in this world, God gives a purpose to it. And that purpose, according to his word, has, is twofold. One is that it creates us to be more like Jesus. He wants to use it to shape us, to mold us. When those things do come, he wants to use it to shape us and mold us more into the image of Christ. And two is so that once we have endured, we have become more like Christ. It brings God praise, glory, and honor. And so I want you to see today that there's purpose in it. That God's given it purpose. That the struggles, the stuff that I've walked through, the stuff that you've walked through, the things that you've been through, God is, is going to use that. Remember Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He tells us that he works everything, even the bad things, even the negative things in our life, he works to the good for those who love him, for those who are in Christ. Verse eight says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Verse nine, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. In this, what I see is that there are two things that we have to comprehend, we have to grab hold of if we're going to have hope in this life. All of those things we talked about, those are awesome things, but if we're really gonna be able to have hope, we've gotta have two things in our life. The first one, as he says here, he says, though you've not seen him, you love him. The first is we have to have an experience with God's love that, that takes us to a place of trust. We've gotta experience his love in a way that takes us to a place of trusting him. So that what we begin to see is that I can trust him. Even when, the struggle comes, I can trust him. Remember one of the things I've told you guys over and over if you've been here for a while is that there's four things I know about God in a world where there's so many things I don't understand about why things happen and what goes on. I know four things about God. I know that God is good and I know this because I look at the cross and I see what he's done for me. I know that God is sovereign, he's in control and his will will be done. And I know that God is faithful, that he's going to do what he's promised to do. And if I know that God is good, and I know that God is sovereign, and I know that God is faithful, then this is what I know about God, I can trust him. Even in difficulty, even in challenges, even in suffering, even in pain, I can trust God because he's good, he's sovereign, and he's faithful to do everything he's promised to do. And so I have to come to a place, though, where I've had an experience with God's love that I realize God loves me. Do you realize this morning that God loves you? That God is not so interested in slapping you upside the head and rebuking you as he is in bringing you into his arms and loving you and transforming you from the inside out. So many people work so hard to transform the outside when what God's really interested in it's your heart in the inside. Amen. And I want you to know today that God loves you and you can have an experience of God's love and continue to experience his love in a way that leads you to trust. 
The second thing that we've got to have is you look at this. He says, and even though you do not see now, you believe in him. And then he says, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So we've got to have a belief. We've got to have a faith that looks beyond the temporary to what's eternal. We've got to have a faith that looks beyond the temporary to what's eternal. And that, that, that looks ahead to what's coming. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What joy was there in the cross? There was no joy in the cross. He was separated from God. His sin had separated him. Our sin had separated him. It was agony. It was death. It was dark. But the joy that was set before him was what was on the other side of the cross. A reconciled relationship to his creation. And so you and I, we all have a cross to carry. The Bible is clear about that. But the reality of it is that on the other side of the cross is the joy of that relationship with Jesus. And the thing that we have that Jesus didn't have when he was dying on the cross is we have a relationship with God because of Jesus that carries the cross with us, that, that tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he gets in with us and he begins to plow with us as we begin to walk and work and go and do the things that he's called us to do even in this fallen world. I was riding down the road the other day and Speed limit was 55, so I was doing the speed limit of 65. And as I was riding, I, I, I was coming up on a hill. And, and I looked at the horizon. The sun was setting, and it was really pretty. Uh, the sky was kind of red and orange. And, and I was looking at this horizon and this road, and, and, and I had this thought that that's kind of how life is for us, that I could see the horizon. I could see that there was um, this, this, this sky. I could see that the road continued on um, at least to the top of the hill, but I couldn't see beyond that. And I thought about this. Isn't that kind of how life is, that we can see so far? Even the Bible tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It's not a spotlight that shines way into the future, but it's something that gives us our next step, not maybe the next hundred steps. And I thought about how it's so easy to, to, to get to this place where we worry about what's on the other side of the hill. And just like that road, life goes on and it continues. The problem for us is what's on the other side of the hill? Isn't that what keeps us up at night many times? Whether it's with our finances or our marriage or our children. I know for me, I can say yes to that. I can say amen when, when you talk about things that trouble you. And, and, and I thought about how that's the way oftentimes we see life, is I don't know what's on the other side. The good news for us is God does. And we have a good daddy, a loving father who has ordained our steps, who is sovereign in everything, who is faithful in all things, and who is good to us. And we've seen that goodness through Jesus. And so we can trust him as we approach the hills of life, not knowing what tomorrow brings, not knowing what's on the other side of the hill we can come to a place of trust in Jesus in those times. And so we have to come to a place where we 
experience his love in a way that gives us the ability to trust him and we come to a place where we believe, we have faith that looks beyond the temporary to what's eternal. Verse 10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when they predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. This is really wordy, so just hang in there. It was revealed to them that you were not serving themselves, they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that they have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. When you read those verses, there's a lot of words in there and there's a lot of stuff in there, but I want you to take this away from those verses today. And that is this one thing, that God has used, man, God has used those prophets. God has foretold all of the things that would happen to the Messiah and to Jesus. He, 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 he is he foretold all of that stuff. He foretold his death. He foretold his resurrection through these men that wrote these things down in the prophets in the Old Testament. Um, he, he told those things before they ever happened. And what Peter is saying is, look, Jesus fulfilled all of these things. Jesus fulfilled all of this stuff. Jesus has done all of this. And he's saying, you now know the whole story. You now know, as Paul Harvey would have said, the rest of the story, right? You can see it. It's there. It's written. I want you to see is that the Bible from the very beginning in Genesis to the book of Revelation is, is a book that tells us of God's redeeming love, of God's reconciling power where he reconciles man back to himself. That that's what this whole book is from Genesis 3 when sin enters the world to the end of the book of Revelation. What we see is God's story, God's plan, God's action to take us from a people who are separated from God to a people who have been reunited with God. And that's what Peter is saying, that these prophets looked into these things. They saw these things. They wrote about these things. They, they foretold these things. And the reality of it is that they, they did this for you. They did this for me. And now we hold this book in our hands, this book that's like no other book that speaks to our heart and speaks to our life and speaks into our life. And it tells us the whole story. And so we're not like the prophets who were longing, who were seeking, who were wondering, how's this going to play out? Listen, the angels even long to look into these things. The angels are in awe of God's plan. The angels are in awe of God's gospel. Can we say this though, that if this whole thing is about the preservation of my, my temporary body and this temporary life, then God's plan isn't a very good plan. But if this whole thing is about the preservation of my soul and the transformation of my heart, then God's plan is brilliant. And that's what it is. And so God is working. He has been working. This whole book points us to Jesus. Everything in it, every word points us to God. And now God says, you hold this in your hands and it's pointing you to the way of life and to a living hope 
and to an inheritance that you've never had before. And he's saying, will you grab hold of it? Today, for some of you, God is really asking you, will you grab hold of this? Will you realize that from the very first page to the last, this is my love letter written to you to try to bring you back to myself because he knew that sin would separate. But from before the earth was created, Jesus was already destined to come and to die on a cross so that you and I could be reconciled back to him. Thank you, whoever that was. I feel like I've been preaching hard, I promise. Yeah. Now see, that, that kind of bothers me a little bit because that was a sympathy clap. Y'all clapped out of sympathy that time for me and for whoever clapped by themselves. I can tell you that's exactly what that was. But, but, but really and truthfully, God has written all of this He's done all of this work. He did all of this. And listen, he did it for you and for me to bring us back to himself. He did it for his glory so that the angels, even the angels, even the cosmic powers and forces that are around us, the angels would look at us and they would go, wow, look at what our father did. And so that they stand back and they see this. They see that God has given us something that we didn't have before. They see that God's given us something that can't be taken away. They see that God has given us something that is permanent and eternal for something that was temporary. And something that wouldn't last. And something that was flawed. They see in this that God has given a purpose to the struggle. And they see in this that God has come to us away in Jesus, that he shows us his love that allows us to trust even and believe for the eternal, even when we're in the midst of the struggle. And so we have these great promises. But how, how, how do I rejoice when everything around me seems to be failing? And, and let's be honest, this is like, I'm, I don't want to send you out here on like a downer. But let's be honest, everything around us is. And, and, and I can, there's one word that sums this up, gravity, right? Because things start to sag, right? Everything's failing. I'm 41 now. You know, I realize that things are not like they were. They're not going to be like they were. And, and, and things just are different. Things are failing around us. Things are different. I realize now, you know, the, 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 the temporary nature of life, when you're in your 20s and even 30s, you don't think about that. When I started turning 40, I was like, huh, I'm almost dead. <laughs> I feel almost dead. And, and you really begin to ponder things. And how do I have this joy in the midst of all of that? And I'm telling you, the way we do it is through the things we talked about today. Listen to this last verse, verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Think about all the things that he didn't say set his hope on. He didn't say set your hope on your finances. He didn't say set your hope on your spouse. He didn't say set your hope on your children. He didn't say set your hope on your employer or your job. He didn't say set your hope on anything other than the hope of Christ, the hope that will be revealed. 
the grace that we've been given. He says, set your hope on that. Set your hope on that. And guys, I'm just telling you, the longer I've lived and, and the more experience in life I have and the more I see and the things I experience through the church and through my own life, that's our hope. That is, that is the great hope. And, and I don't tell you that today saying, so well, that kind of stinks. That's the only hope. No, this is great. Because even the charmed life, even if you lived 100 years of a charmed life, it's still temporary. But this is eternal. And we can rejoice in this. When we face the difficulties of life, we can rejoice in this. We can hold on to this. I'm telling you, I've been preaching this to myself. I've been preaching this to, to me because I need to hear it. I need to know it. I need to grab hold of it. I need to rehearse this to me. And I hope that you'll rehearse this to you. Our hope is in that grace that he's given us, the new life, the inheritance of Jesus. And we spend this life rejoicing in that and telling as many people as we can about that and celebrating that and enjoying life. Yes, absolutely. I don't know about you, but I enjoy it a whole lot more when I'm living out of an eternal perspective rather than one that's temporary. So that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me, that we'd be able to live out of that. My prayer for you today is that if you haven't come to know Christ, that you would. That if you haven't experienced his love in a way that can bring you to trusting him and loving him and trusting him with your soul for eternity, that today you realize he's calling you. He wants you to come to that place. And you have that opportunity today, right now. If God is speaking to your heart and he's revealed to you that maybe you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, but you want one and he's put it in your heart and he's drawing you to himself, then I want you to do what we always do here. Listen, you may be new, but we do this every week. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say, yeah, that's me. I, I wanna know him. I want a relationship with Christ. I need that. I don't have that, but I want that today. I wanna have that hope. I wanna live in the assurance of what's to come. But you don't have that. Anybody here today that you would say, that's me? then what we want to do, I want to close this out, is I know this like I know I'm standing here this morning. I'm not the only one who struggles. I'm not the only one who has difficulties. I know some of you do too. And I want to open the front up for you. If you are walking through something, you're going through something today, and you, this is all great and good, but you need to grab hold of it and apply it, we want to pray for you. And so I'm gonna invite you to come and be prayed for. I'm gonna invite you to come and lay that burden here at this altar. I wanna invite you to grab hold of abundant peace and grab hold of abundant grace. Maybe for the hundredth time, maybe for the thousandth, the millionth time to say, God, I need you and to renew that hope and that strength. 
So I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna turn it over to Chase. But I want you to come and I want you to spend time with the Lord. Renew your hope, renew your strength. Wait on the Lord, rest in Him. Let Him do in you what you can't do for yourself. So let's pray and you move. God, thank you so much for life. Thank you for your heart for us, your joy that you give us. Thank you for eternal life, God, that we have a living hope because of the eternal life you've given us. God, sometimes it's hard for us to rejoice in that until we can finally realize how temporary things are here. But I pray, Lord, that today we'd be able to walk in that and the power of the hope we have in you. Lord, we love you and thank you for loving us, for Jesus, for the power he gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit. His name we pray, amen, amen. Listen, before I go, here's the thing. We didn't start this church to be about playing church. We didn't start this church to be something where we just went through the motions. And today I'm asking you that you wouldn't go through the motions either. If there's something in your heart you need to deal with that you would deal with it, whether it's up here or at your seat, but this is real. This is the most real thing that we're ever gonna do is our relationship with Christ. So don't walk out of here today without having spent that time with him. Don't go through some Southeast Georgia religious ritual and walk out of here untouched by the power of the Holy Spirit because I can tell you he's here and he wants to work in your heart. So let him work. Let's do that today. God bless you.